This morning we finish up our series written on my heart. Who is glad that we are done with this series because I'm not going to quiz you anymore. Anybody? Yeah? No? Okay. How many of you feel confident you have more scripture written on your heart after this series? A couple of us feel a little bit more confident in that? Okay, good. Um, This is what we're all about. We want to write God's word on our hearts this whole year, 2018, really. The vision has been that we want to listen for the voice of God. We want to do that through prayer and we want to do that through uh, scripture. And we want to look deeply into the Word of God, and we want it to, to go beyond just our, our thinking. We want it to go into our hearts so that it affects every aspect of our lives. And so we've spent the last eight weeks uh, going through these different memory verses. And so for the last time, all right, I'm going to quiz you. We started eight weeks ago in John chapter 11, verse 35. John chapter 11, verse 35. Even if you're a first-timer, you can memorize this one because it is what? That's right. Jesus wept. So that was a good start. We all, we all got on to that one. We moved on then to Galatians 5, verse 22. I'll give you a hint. It's about fruit. It's about fruit. So who feels very confident? I know this one. For the fruit of the Spirit. Come on. Who's got it? Come on. Yes, Chad. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Come on. Good work. Nice job. That was strong, man. You know, usually when I ask everybody, we just fumble around the goodness part. We're like, eh, gentleness, goodness, that was strong. Well done. Uh, number three, we were actually in uh, number six, 24 through 26. It begins, the Lord bless you. Somebody help me. Who wants to do it? Come on, somebody. Taylor, come on. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Shine shine his face on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Good, good. Uh, We are, number four was 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, It was about being full. So here's your hint. Joy, full. Prayer, full. Thankful. Anybody want to take a stab at this one? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Anybody? B. Somebody, Somebody hollered out. You there you go, Bertha. Well done. Well done. Uh, so we talked about being joyful or rejoicing always, right? We want to be joyful. We want to be prayerful. And we want to be grateful or thankful. Uh, number five was Romans. Romans chapter 8, 38 and 39. And we needed to be convinced of something. Michelle Donaldson, let's take a stab at this one. For I'm convinced. Come on. There we go. Way to go, Michelle. Well done. That's, I'm going to be honest with you. That's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites. Um, number six, we were in Philippians. Philippians 4, verse 8. It said this, finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is... Who wants to take a stab at this one? Whatever is... 
True. Noble. Right. Pure. Lovely. Yes. Well done, Sarah. She can sing and memorize scripture. I like it. And last but not least, Deuteronomy 6. 4 through 6, the Shema, or the beginning of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Say it with me if you remember it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your... There we go. We got it. Last but not least, we're in Matthew. Matthew chapter 28 today. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. This is um, Jesus' moment right before he ascends to heaven and he wants to give his disciples some marching orders. He has died and his disciples have thought, man, we put all this hope in this guy and, and he has died. And then three days later... The biggest surprise, the unexpected surprise that we celebrated at Easter, Jesus comes back from the grave. He defeats sin and he defeats death. And so he's giving them sort of his final marching orders. And if you would put yourself in the disciples' shoes, maybe you would say, hey, Jesus, that whole um, coming back to life thing was awesome. And um, now are you going to restore your kingdom? Because that's kind of what we've been thinking about the whole time. Is like, are you gonna now? Are you gonna overthrow the Romans and and take over your kingdom? And, and he does something really interesting. He says, "No, I'm gonna roll and I'm gonna go be with my dad, but I got some marching orders for you." And so he puts the mission of God into our feeble hands. This is a crazy moment. And so you can imagine the disciples there thinking, alright, now the kingdom is going to come. Jesus is going to take over. It's going to be His reign and His rule. And He says, no, 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 no. i got work for you to do. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. We've got work to do, church. These are words not just to the disciples. These are words to us this morning, to the church universal that we would Share and live in the mission of Jesus. So let's read these words together, written on our heart, last verse of the week. And it goes like this. Let's all go together. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. I almost said always too, because that's how I memorized it back in the day. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are our marching orders, church. Jesus left it in our hands in the disciples' hands, and he said, Listen, my mission is now your mission. You have some things to do. And this is why we want to write this verse on our hearts, because as a church, we're coming into the summer season, and we're coming into a lot of folks who are, are open to the idea that maybe they'll, they'll check out church. There's a little more sunlight in the day. You know, you get done with church at noon, you still got 10 hours of sunlight these days, right? 
So there's some people that just for logistics are going to say, hey, maybe I'll kick around church this summer. We've got lots of visitors who come here who are maybe searching or are maybe committed to Christ. We don't really know where they're at each and every Sunday. We have neighbors who we love and care for and, and maybe we need to go to them. And maybe we need to take the next step. And as a church, I just want to say that this is a season where I want to encourage us really to lean into this idea. To lean into the mission of God that we would go and make disciples. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Making disciples. If you've been around this church any amount of time, you've heard me say, we exist to passionately follow Jesus together. That's what we do. We don't make it too complicated. We say, listen, here's what this, we think this is all about. We think that being a disciple means passionately, meaning with volition, with our heart, with all that we got, with our guts. We want to passionately follow, right? Because there's a leader and his name is Jesus. I'm not the leader. You're not the leader. There's a guy named Jesus. He's the leader. So we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to passionately follow Jesus and we're going to do it together. We're going to do it together. That's why we gather every Sunday. That's why we gather in life groups. That's why we gather together to encourage one another. We passionately follow Jesus together. And what we want to do is simple. We want to encourage other people to passionately follow Jesus together. And we believe, we're crazy enough to believe, that the world would be a whole different place if everybody was passionately following Jesus together. A lot of the problems that we see in the world, they would be minimized because if we were all passionately following Jesus together, we would love our neighbors. We would be compassionate. We would be caring of others. We would sacrifice our own needs for the needs of others. If we were passionately following Jesus together, this world would be a different place. Somebody should have said amen. I was preaching for my southern people there, okay? My southern visitors. So we want to talk about three aspects of passionately following Jesus together, or let's say this, three aspects of making disciples. Three aspects of making disciples. Number one, we want to go to others. We want to go to others. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples. See, the opposite of going is what? Staying, right? Staying. And there's something a little risky about the word go. Right? Some of you, we have this graduation that just happened, and some of our graduates are going to go to college. They're not necessarily going to stay here in their safe little bubble called Big Sky. They're going to go to college, and they're going to find out there is a much larger world where you don't ski every day. It's crazy. And they have to get jobs, and they have to figure out all this other stuff going on in their life. They're going to figure out that not everybody lives in paradise, right? And so they're going to go to college. Maybe you have recently moved. We, we have this all the time in this community. People relocate. They come here for a season, and then they go somewhere else. And if you're one of those seasonal people who's coming for the summer... You decided at some point, I'm going to go to Big Sky. And I'm going to go see if I can find a job. And more importantly, housing. Right? And I'm going to go there and I'm going to take a risk. And I'm going to see what God might have for me to go. I'm not going to stay where I was. I'm going to go to where I think I should go. We have all these moments in our lives where we are called to go instead of stay. And what Jesus wants to say to us is discipleship is about going. It's not about staying. 
And see, here, here's some of the problem when it comes to how we think as Christians sometimes. Sometimes we think that Christianity, passionately following Jesus, is about sitting in our room and reading this Bible and praying really hard and then never leaving our house because it's dangerous out there. And you read these stories in here and you're like, see, it's bad out there, so I'm going to stay in here and I'm going to stay safe and I'm going to stay in my safe little knit communities and I'm going to come to church where it's safe to talk about these things, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to take it out in the world. Cause if I, if I start talking about my faith with my neighbors, guess what? It might get uncomfortable, right? If I, if I'm intentional, uh, intentional about running my business, like I think Jesus would want me to run my business. I run some risk there because Jesus might run a business a little different than the world would want to run a business, right? And so sometimes I think as a church, we're tempted to, to just stay where we're at. I think we're tempted to stay comfortable, to stay with the people that we know and love that aren't different than us, that don't challenge us. But Jesus doesn't say stay. He says go. And go is an active word, right? It's, it's this word that says you got to do something. you got to take a step. You can't stay right here. So we need to go to others. The Bible is filled with stories of people that go. If you know the Bible at all. A guy named Abraham. Abraham's wealthy and he's, he's doing really well. And God says to him, hey Abraham, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a son, an heir. And he, you're going to bless all people through him. And what I want you to do is I want you to go off to a far land. I want you to leave all that you know and I want you to go off to this far off place. He asks Abraham to go in faith. But later you know about the Israelites, right? The Israelites are stuck in Egypt. And God says to, uh, God says to Moses, hey, I need you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to what? Let my people go, right? He says, I don't want them to stay where they're at. I need them to go to that promised land that I'm giving to them. I don't want them to stay. Let my people stay. That was not the message. Charlton Heston doesn't want to say that. He wants to say, let my people go, right? He tells Noah, hey, or Jonah, not Noah. Well, he tells Noah too. He says says to, to Noah, go and build an ark, right? Different story. We'll get there. Jonah specifically though, he says, Jonah... You need to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, I don't want to go to Nineveh. In fact, Jonah goes the opposite direction. He doesn't just stay. He goes the opposite direction. And God says, well, I'll get you there. Even if a fish has to swallow you, spit you up on the shore right on the banks of Nineveh, right? I'm going to make you go even if you don't want to go. You ever had a moment like that in your life? You had to go even though you didn't want to go? See, the Bible is filled with those who go. Jesus himself goes. Think about this. Jesus is in triune perfection with his heavenly Father. And he gives up heaven to come to earth. Can you imagine? You, we would never make this choice. We wouldn't. We would never trade heaven for earth. We would never do it. We would never say, hey, let me trade perfection. Let me trade um, j- just pure wholeness and glory and, 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 and everything that I need is right here. Let me trade that 
to earth where people get sick and people die and people don't like each other and they kill each other and there's brokenness all over the place. Let me trade perfection for that. We would never make that choice, but Jesus in His love, He goes to us. He comes to us, Emmanuel. See, the story is filled with those who go, and we are called to go. We're called to go to others. A couple of tangible um, people who are going in our congregation. This past week, we had a meeting for a Uganda missions trip. And there were some folks there who were sitting around and we had dinner together. And we support this ministry, uh, the Kazozi Village in Uganda. And there's about 170 kids there. Uh, they're part of this school and orphanage. They live there and they learn there and they're fed well and, and they're taken care of. And we have started to invest in this community. And Don and Diane Lunston, if you know them, they're actually over, surprise, surprise, with the kids in base camp this morning. They'll be joining us later for communion. But um, Don and Diane have been going there for many, many years. And so a couple years back, we said, we need to, we need to, we need to go with them. I need to just have Don Dan. We need, we need to go. And since then, we've sent uh, two teams. We're going to be sending our third team. And, and maybe you missed out on the meeting on Wednesday night. Um, you can still go. You can still go. You can talk to Diane, Don and Diane. You can come talk to me. Um, you can go and love on these 170 kids. It was, it was amazing. Don, Don was answering the question. There were some folks who were looking at going next year. Or this fall, I mean. And um, they said, well, what are we going to do? And one of the things that caught my attention, Don said, you just need to be there. They just need to know they're loved. They just want you to come and to hang out with them and to tell them that they're loved and they're cherished. Play a little soccer with them. Spend a little time with them. Go on a walk with them. But that never happens if you don't go. And Don and Diane have set the model for us. They have gone to Uganda, I don't even know how many times, probably 20 plus times they've gone to Uganda. And so we're sending trips to go to Uganda. And so you might say, well, what does passionately following Jesus look like? Does it mean I have to like sell all my possessions and go move to Uganda? Maybe. Maybe. If you take this message seriously, if you take what Jesus has to say seriously, that might be where you end up, right? This is risky business. We like it. It's good. We want, to, we want to be a part of the mission of Jesus, and it might call us to radically change our lives. So it might be that. It might be, it might be this. Um, Tom Jurgens runs a Mongolia ministry. When are you leaving, Tom? Where are you, Tom? There you are. When are you leaving? July 14th. July 14th. How long will you be in Mongolia? About five weeks. And every year, so Tom goes to Mongolia, and um, Tom rides on these on carts and trucks and whatever he needs. It's like planes, trains, and automobiles in Mongolia, right? To get to these villages way out in the bush. And they, um, they, they help out with, uh, the horse, the horse, um, community there. So Tom was a veterinarian for many, many years, horse veterinarian. He has extensive knowledge of horses, very, very gifted teacher, um, and God gave him these gifts, and he had a fantastic practice in Minnesota. And, and somewhere along the line, he had this opportunity to go to Mongolia and use the gifts that God had given to him. And so now every summer, he goes for over a month to Mongolia. It's not an easy trip. 
It takes a lot of energy out of him. He goes and loves these herdsmen. He teaches them uh, about their horses. And then he always shares with them the good news of Jesus. The reason that he comes is because he loves Jesus. And Jesus wants him to be here. And you can know Jesus too. And you can passionately follow him as well. He finishes his trip uh, with uh, with a, a, a men's retreat. Um, and he spends five weeks giving himself over to this. And so the question would be, does God want you to um, spend five weeks in Mongolia every summer? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe there are specific gifts in your life that God has, talented, that has made you talented in. There, there are ways that you think, ways that you work, that are different than other people. Maybe, uh, just like Tom, you're a veterinarian and, and, and you've got this specific call. And you say, man, I can use that somewhere. I need to go somewhere and share what God has given to me. Maybe it's going across the street. This one's more feasible. And I think this is most of us. I'll be honest with you. I don't think most of us are called to go to Uganda and, and, and go to Mongolia for the rest of our lives. I don't think that that's probably the call for us, right? Um, but I do think that you're called to go across the street to your neighbor. I do think you're called to go into your kid's bedroom at night to pray with them, to teach them about Jesus. I do, I do think you're supposed to go into your workplace this week and share the love of Christ and model what it looks like to passionately follow Jesus. And this isn't going to happen on accident. See, going never happens on accident, right? Going happens because you say, I'm going to go. So the first part of making disciples is that we go. The second part of making disciples is that we seek life transformation. So what, what do you do when you go? What do you do when you go to Uganda? What do you do when you go to Mongolia? What do you do when you go across the street and you have that uncomfortable conversation with, hey man, and he has, actually has a name, right? His name actually isn't man or dude or whatever you call him. Like, hey buddy, his name's not buddy, surprisingly. It's like Michael or something, right? And you don't know it. And what, what happens when you go to him and you meet him and you talk to him and you have more than a five-minute conversation with him about the crazy weather in Big Sky? You actually try to engage in his life. What are we seeking out? Well, you go and you seek life transformation. And you seek it because your life has been transformed. See, this is what baptism is all about. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. See, baptism is this incredible sign and symbol given to the church. And, and the picture of baptism is this, that as you go under the water, the old creation is gone, and as you come out of the water, the new creation has come. You are baptized, therefore, Paul would say, into the death of Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Right? And so the symbolism of baptism is that you would go under the waters, you would be washed and cleansed of your sin, and that you would come out new, transformed, a new creation. And see, I think we've sold ourselves so short as a church. I think we have built many, many churches uh, and, and many of us have built our faith upon what I'll call moralistic theism. Moralistic theism. So let me unpack that for a second. I, I think that some of us in the room even think this. That we believe that there's a God. Right? So theism, theology, study of God, theism. Right? 
So we believe that there's a God, and we believe that he wants us to be good. Moral people who don't say bad words, and don't hang out with those those dirt bags and uh and and don't drink those certain drinks and don't 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 and i i think we spend a lot of our lives saying yes i believe in god but it's all up to me and i'm just gonna get a little better every single day i'm gonna work a little harder i'm gonna be a moral person i'm gonna be better and better and better and better and better and suddenly we have we have substituted good news for for bad news mediocre news at best right i mean the self-help section in barnes and noble is massive because people need help right i need help you need help but here's the thing. We've talked about this before. You, you don't need a Band-Aid. You need, you need heart surgery, right? Like, here, here's what we say. So, we treat sin like this. We think sin is like an ouchie on our knee, right? And we're like, well, if I just get a Band-Aid on that ouchie on my knee, I'm going to be better. But, but what if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, you know what? I actually think there's more going on than just an ouchie on your knee. Let me check, let me check everything going on. And they, and they did a CAT scan and, and they did some other testing and some blood work. And then they, they looked at your heart and they recognized that you had this, this anomaly, this growth on your heart and it was killing you. Would you still want a band-aid? No! You'd want heart surgery, right? We are not about putting a band-aid on sin. We are about dying to ourselves and rising a new creation in Jesus. We are about every single day, every single thought taking it captive, every single action taking it captive, every single uh, moment of our lives, the way we treat our families, the way we treat our spouses, the way we treat our kids, our neighbors, the way we take care and steward this world. All of it should be influenced by not just a moralistic theism, but a a changed life, a transformed life. And that's what baptism is all about. Last year, uh, I think we baptized 11 folks in the river uh, the first week of September. Anybody there who was there? Man, wasn't that, that was like the best service I've ever been to in my entire life. I mean, I'm highly biased, but, um, I mean, we were standing there down behind the river house, bar and grill, and we were on the banks of the Gallatin, and we had all these folks standing up there, and they all read or had somebody read for them the story of transformation in their life. How God had taken them from from staying to going. How God had how God had uh, taken away some crazy, terrible, sinful things in their life and had washed them new and made them clean. And we got to play music and baptize these folks into a new creation. And, and, and it's just phenomenal to me. And that's what we're seeking after. That's what we have to offer. I think when we just offer to people a little bit of moralistic theism... We're just offering what the rest of the world offers. It's just a little bit more therapy. And they need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We need our hearts to be transformed by God. And so we go to others, and that's what we offer. We say to them, this is how God has changed me. And I think, I think God can change you too. I think, you know, those things that are going on in your life, and I think if you, if you really took Jesus serious, he'd probably have some things to say. 
uh, about those issues in your life. And, and I really think he could make you new. Um, I'll tell you one of the most radical stories that I had. I had this guy um, at Eastern Hills in Colorado. And, um, and he comes one Sunday and he's all kind of worked up. And after church, he grabs me, Pastor Brian, I need to talk to you. And, and we get into talking and we find out that he's uh, got some really serious addiction issues. Really serious addiction issues. And because of that, his marriage is in shambles. Um, his wife's about to leave him with two, two boys. And, and he is, he's a wreck. I mean, just a wreck. And, and later that week, he ends up uh, coming into the office. And uh, actually, um, true story, he, he was so wound up that he had sort of a mental breakdown. And he was threatening people. And at one point, I've like I've got my my like choking against the wall, and that's not what pastors are supposed to do apparently. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, settle down, right? And um, and we had a preschool in there, and I'm like, somebody call 911. Cops come, tasers are out. I mean, it's crazy, right? It's crazy, crazy. My wife was in Bible study, and somebody comes up and says, your husband is beating somebody up in the lobby. No joke, right? <laughs> he gets carted off 72 hours uh, in, in a mental facility. One year later, one year later, I got to video uh, his life transformation. His wife and him have started working through things and it was going to take a while, <laughs> right? Um, they're not separated. They're living in the same house. He was learning how to love his boys. And I got the privilege to baptize this guy. The guy that I was holding up against the wall thinking, it's me or him, man. Like, that's the guy I got to baptize. And, and I'm telling you, this is what Jesus does. Jesus is in the business of making blind people see. Jesus is in the business of making lame people walk. Jesus is in the business of taking dead people and saying, hey, Lazarus, come out that tomb, Right? So why can't he do it with your neighbor? Why can't he do that in your kid's life? Why can't he do that with your co-worker's life? Or why can't he do that wherever he sends you to go? Life transformation. That's what we're about. So we go. We seek out life transformation. And then third, we learn to obey. I was trying to wait on this for the kids to come back. For the sake of the parents in the room. But um, we'll get at it. So number three, we're learning to... Obey, right? So it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then this one, which we often jump over. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's what we're doing right now. Right? That's why we gather around here. That's why we study scripture together. That's why we have life groups that get together and, and they work through scripture together and they study that scripture together and they just come and say, Jesus, I have some things to learn. What can you teach me? Each and every week. I'll do this again next week. I'm going to sit down with some text from the word and I'm going to say, hey, God, what, what do you want me to teach? What can I learn from this? What can we learn from this? And we learn, we learn to obey. See, o- obedience is about understanding who's in charge. Right? That's what obedience is about. It's about understanding who's in charge. And, and a lot of times I think we think we're in charge. Right? And so we just want to obey our own selves. And we want to think about what, what we want in life. 
Um, And I think that leads us to thinking things like this. I like Jesus as my Savior, but I'm not sure about Him as my Lord. (laughs) Right? I like Jesus as my Savior, but I'm not sure about Him as my Lord. I like getting the golden ticket to the Willy Wonka factory. Right? I like the golden ticket, the fire insurance. I like the heaven, going to heaven thing. Right? I don't want the alternative, but to really embrace Jesus means to understand Him as both Savior and Lord. And what does Lord mean? It means that He is over all of your life. Paul would later use this word, and it's so foreign and crazy to us to think, but he over and over uses the word slave. That we would be a slave to Christ. It would be 100% obedient to Christ that, that because of His rich love for us, because of what He did for us, because He has transformed our life, we would respond to Him in obedience to everything that He asks of us. Right? That we, that we would just give it all back to Him. Not just part of it. Not that we would withhold our finances but give everything else to Him. Not that we would withhold our kids but give everything else to Him. Not that we would withhold our job but give everything else to Him. That we would say, you are Lord of my life. You're in control. And I want to be obedient to you because you are in charge and I'm not. And there's some real freedom in that. Some real freedom in that. Some of us are walking around this room, walking around this life thinking, I'm in charge. i got to take care of this. I heard this at graduation. You be the best you that you can be. you got to change the world. you got to, you got to, you got to, you got to, you got to. Man, here's what you got to do. Respond to Jesus. He's in charge. He's got this. So we need to go to others. We need to seek out life transformation. We need to learn to obey. Kiddos, you can come in. Kiddos, come in. Come on. Get in here. We want you in here. Claim your children, please. Don't act like you don't know them. Come on. Come on, kids. So last two points, and then we're going to get to communion. Last two points. First, the reason that we can be confident to make disciples because we don't do it alone. Jesus says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. See, even the act of making disciples isn't about us. Even the act of making disciples is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. That God would lead us and guide us to love and make disciples. And we don't do it alone. For those of you whose kids just walked in, you don't parent alone. I know it feels like that sometimes, right? But you don't parent alone. God parents with you. You don't lead your business alone. God wants to lead your business with you. You don't go across the street and have this uncomfortable conversation with your neighbor that you're scared to have alone. You do it because God is with you to the very end of the age. You can be confident because what is he saying? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's who's at your side. Do you understand me? If God is with you, who can be against you? Right? You have nothing to fear in this life. Least of all, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, the big question, who is Jesus leading me to disciple right now? Who's Jesus leading you to disciple right now? Maybe you need to go to your kids' bedrooms. And you need to start praying with them. And doing devotions with them. 
and teaching them about Jesus and talking about how God's changing your life and asking them how God's changing their life. Maybe it's that you need to go to your friends and take a break from talking about the weather or where they're going camping next or the new skis they bought or the new mountain bike trail that they've just ridden down and take a risk and engage with them on a deeper conversational level. And ask them what's going on in their life. And ask them where they're in need. And ask them how you can be praying for them. And, and, and encouraging them. And, and sharing with them what God has done in your life. And what God might do in theirs. Maybe it's going across the street to a neighbor. Asking them how you're, they're really doing. Investing in their lives. Having them over for dinner. Loving them. And being ready for the moment when they ask you, Why do you do what you do? And you can just say, Jesus, because I passionately follow Jesus. And I think you should too. So uh, here's what I want to do as we close. We're going to have, devo- or we're going to have uh, communion together because we don't do this alone. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, we want to remember that we do all of this in response to what has been done. We're not the ones that need to get it done. It's already been done. Right? And so we just get to re- respond to that. Because Jesus gave His life for us, the radical exchange of His life for our life can be had. And so that's what we celebrate in this moment. This represents the body of Jesus broken for you. And Jesus hung upon the cross as people jeered and sneered and, and cast lots for His garment. Right? He looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He offered His body for us. And as He hung upon that cross, He shed His blood for us. His blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. And this is radical. See, no God does this. No God comes and dies on behalf of a bunch of people. Every other God says, hey, hey, you know what? You all need to be about me. No God says, hey, let me come and give myself for you. And because of that, we have good news. And news is meant to be spread. It's meant to be told. It's not meant to be kept secret. And so we get to share in this good news this morning that God has fed you, that He loves you, that He cares for you, that He died for you, that you have forgiveness of sins and new life in Him. And we want to make this available for everybody. So, as you prepare your hearts for this, would you do me a favor and write down one name on your piece of paper? I want you to write down the name of a family, uh, a home maybe, uh, or an individual, somebody in some uh, aspect of your life that you really know they're hurting and they need Jesus. And their life would be so much better if they were passionately following Jesus together as well. And, and I want you, um, prayerfully, as you receive this, um, maybe even to be praying that at some moment they'd be able to share in the goodness that you're going to experience here in a moment. This meal, this meal is for those of you who say, I, I want to pursue Jesus. I want to passionately follow Jesus together. And I want to tell everybody else about it. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would nourish us through this meal, that you would give us courage in the midst of this message. 
that you would put names on our heads and on our hearts. People that you have called us to pray for and love and encourage and invest in. Where you are calling us to go. God, please, please send us. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. There is nothing better than that in all the world. So God, I ask that you would bless this meal to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Kiddos, for those of you who are rejoined your parents, if you've had the conversation and you understand what this is all about and they give you the thumbs up, awesome, participate. If not, just hang. You'll do it someday and it's awesome, all right? And if you are not there in your life um, right now, I would just encourage you to um, think through some of the things I've said this morning. Search your own hearts. um, Search whether or not radical transformation in your life um, is needed. And and enjoy this moment. But um, come, the table is prepared for you.